Welcome to the Tour Junkies Fantasy Golf Podcast presented by 18 Birdies, the number one golf app in app stores today. This is the RSM Classic. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody? Thanks for downloading the Tour Junkies Podcast presented by 18 Birdies. This is the RSM Classic, and listen... Uh, this is going to be a fun one. Pat sings to me in the first few minutes of the podcast, which is interesting. I didn't see that coming. We've got Dwayne Bach, caddy for Kevin Kisner and former champion of the RSM Classic, on the show to talk a little bit about what it takes to play really well at the RSM Classic at Seaside and Sea Island. Uh, it's a really impactful interview there from Dwayne Bach. We're going to give our picks. Pat Perry is back. It's going to be great. We're going to have a great course breakdown. We're going to recap the OHL. And at the end, it's it's phenomenal. The Chunk and Run segment tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about GPP ownership, but we're also going to give our political attack ad campaign, all right? If DFS golf touts were the subject of our political attack ads, who would we read them to and how would we read them? We wrote some incredible ads, and we're going to go after a couple guys tonight. You don't want to miss that at the very end of the podcast tonight. We want to thank 18 Birdies for the sponsorship. You guys, if you've not downloaded the 18 Birdies app, wherever app stores can be downloaded, you need to do so. If you enter promo code TOURJUNKIES, you get one free year of premium membership, a whole year free of premium membership on the app. It lets you do all kind of fun stuff. If you're a golfer or not a golfer, if you just like golf, you can download the app and get your value. So there you go. Let's get to it for the RSM. Thanks for listening. Here you go. What's going on, everybody? DB here. It's the RSM Classic Podcast. And great news. Fantastic news. No, great fantastic news. With me tonight, back at it, ponied up, ready to go, is the one, the only, Pat Perry. What's up, Pat? Man, I'm so excited to be back. Just just, uh, back in the saddle again. Ready to go, talk the RSM Classic. I had the two-week break, and uh, I'm feeling awesome, man. I'm feeling really good. and uh, Feeling refreshed and rejuvenated? Yeah, you know what? I was thinking about the time off and you know what it meant for me for you to do that. and So I thought that I would just uh, you know, talk a little bit about it. And, uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> It meant so much to me that you just gave me a little bit of a time to to take to myself. Yeah. Just just listen listen to the music here and you'll hear what I have to say. Every, yes, everybody does. I heard it say mm. from mm. each other. <laughs> Even lovers need a holiday. Far away, <laughs> ah, yes, from each other. <laughs> Hold me now. Mm. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. We all know that. I just want you to stay. <laughs> through all that we've been through, Woo! I will make it up to you. You better. I promise to. <laughs> After all that's been said and done, 
You're just a part of me. I can't let go. Uh, where's the gong? Bang the gong. Get him out of there. Sound the Arsenio Hall, the, uh, the Arsenio Hall horn. Uh, <laughs> I did not see that coming, man. That was, uh, that was beautiful. Thank you for that. <laughs> you are um, not blessed with, with singing. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But you know what? I, um, I will say I appreciate <laughs> the break. It was, it, was, it was good to be off. Uh, but I'm happy to be back. You know, sometimes you just need a break from things, and that's that, that's all there was to it. There wasn't much other than uh, I just asked you. I said, hey, look, I want a two-week break. I'll come back for the RSM Classic, and that was it. And you were gracious enough to do that. We had some good guests while I was out, uh, but I'm I'm happy to be back. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is our 181st episode um, doing the podcast. So after, you know, after 180 episodes, you've not, you've, You've never asked for a break, other than you know we we get one we give ourselves like one week a year for vacation. But um, you know it, it was good. I'm glad you got to glad you got to rest up and uh, come back. And it was a lot of fun. We had Paul Apian on a couple weeks ago. He was great. And then Pat Mayo last week was just absolutely lit. Now it was a two hour podcast, which there's a lot of you that maybe still aren't finished listening to it. But I will say. It was chalked full of really good discussion from myself and Pat, a couple of guys who, you know, I, I don't put myself on the same level as Pat Mayo, but a couple of guys who have at least been doing it for a long time. Like Mayo started the PGA DFS podcast discussion, and we were right on his heels. So it was a lot of fun talk about kind of some theory and some strategy stuff. So uh, it was really, it was really a lot of fun to talk with Mayo. We had a good time. You know, um, I will say this though. Cause and it was a great episode. I, I think you're you're right. There was so much good info in there. So if you can get a chance to go back and I mean, just go back and just listen to up until the tournament breakdown. Because at this point, it doesn't matter anyway. But just great stuff. I will say this. I felt you know listening to him talk about his 400 shows this year. Yeah. I was like, all right. So here I am, this this wuss who needs a break for two weeks after you know. 40 shows this year and 100 and whatever you just quoted is overall all time so <laughs> yeah and, and by the way like he filled in last minute he literally agreed to do it the day of and i'm like yeah the guy who's done 400 shows is filling in last minute for the guy who's done 180 in <laughs> three, three years. years i don't even understand <laughs> um but you're a high man you're high maintenance pat that's for sure you're high maintenance pat it was good to have Mayo on. We love we love Pat Mayo, and we, we had some we had some decent picks. We had a lot of good discussion. It was it was so much more valuable with the discussion. We both really liked Matt Kuchar, uh, who came up and won the OHL at Mayakoba with a local caddy, albeit, which is pretty pretty interesting. Um, ooh, is that a is that a sound effect or is that another text? Because you know you had the break. Did you forget? <laughs> I, mean, I guess you still haven't learned that you have to put your phone on silent. Or was that a sound effect? Did you figure out in the two week break how to work a soundboard into the podcast? Yeah, that was yeah, that was me working the soundboard there. Ah, um, okay. I, I was a little early on it though. I didn't I didn't put it in the right spot where I wanted it. But yeah, well I, yeah, it was a the, it's for the Coocher pick. I think that was a good Coocher. That was a good Coocher bell. Uh, we had Aaron. I was on Aaron Wise, who played pretty well. Brian Gay ended up doing all right. JT Post, and those are some highlights. Faded Spieth, Faded Woodland, those are some highlights. Uh, it was a it was a good week. It was an okay week. You know, a lot of my guys kind of fizzled after a couple days. Zach Johnson really screwed me up, pretty good by missing the cut. Um, but you know, not not too shabby, not too shabby. Lee Westwood also won. 
by the way. Like, the and this is crazy, but the last win that Matt Kuchar and Lee Westwood had worldwide also came on the same day. But it was in it was on April 20th, shout out 420, of 2014. Four years ago, on the same day, those two wily veterans won their last tournament. It's kind of wild to think about. Kind of, kind of crazy. Did so. you see? Um, now I'm trying to find it because I didn't. I, there was a tweet about. Um, so they. Um, so Westwood fa- fired his caddy. So his girlfriend or fiance or whatever, Helen Story, is now his caddy. And um, mm. I did not see this. Yeah, and so of course he ends up winning with her on the bag, and his caddy. Ugh. Uh, made a comment about at least you could have fired me after winning a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. <clears throat> mm. um, yeah, there was a lot of caddy drama. You had you had Kuchar's wife filling in for, um, uh, was it Zach Johnson? No, who's it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was Zach, Zach Johnson. His, his caddy, Damon Ku- Green, was, was a little overheated on uh, the front nine yeah. on Thursday. All kind of caddy drama going on. You had... Yeah. You didn't have Montezuma's uh, bunghole revenge like he did last year. It seemed like a lot of the guys stayed away from the water. However, the mattress sitch in, uh, in Playa del Carmen, I'm not really confident in. You had three withdrawals uh, right, either before the round or, or right right as the first round started. Grayson Murray, Chris Stroud, and one other withdrew for back and neck injuries. I'm like, geez. So something going on there. But no, no, uh, no. I think the guys learned their lesson, and they didn't. They didn't drink the water, you know. They drank bottled water, so that was good. Uh, all in all, you know, it's whatever. It, it's uh, OHL Mycoba. We move on. By the way, Pat, I gotta say, I, I've not really talked about this on the podcast, but I have redone my podcast space in my house. So, had the people seen my podcast space prior to prior to now, they would probably stop listening to our show and just think that we're a bunch of hack jobs but i have definitely upped my game and i've got we've got this bonus room and i've done this nice shiplap wall i did it myself with a, with a guy a guy who actually he mainly did it and i kind of watched him do it but i tried to help when i cut he's a nail gun that was fun and uh it's a really nice space now and i'm decorating this thing with all kind of tj you know swag and merch from the years and some master stuff from the years but I really I gotta give a shout out. And this is this is a this is a free ad. I gotta give a shout out to lieandloft.com. If you guys aren't familiar with Lie and Loft, L-I-E, like Lie on a Club, lieandloft.com. I gotta give a shout out to these boys because they they've been following the Tour Junkies podcast. We met those guys a couple years ago and they, they follow the show and they have a f- tremendous Instagram um, page if you like them if you follow them on Instagram at Lionloft. But they, they do like golf, um, I don't know what it is, like golf lifestyle brand maybe. It's like a golf hipster lifestyle brand with like decor and pictures and art and um, I don't know what you call it. But in fact, the, uh, the, the Bob Golby quote over the Augusta National layout on our website, tourjunkies.com, was done by Lion Loft. But they sent me all, this, all these uh, cool things like, I got another Augusta National print. I got a green jacket painting that's really cool. Um, I got a flag, a pennant that says Augusta on it. That's yellow and green. Wait, and I got wait, all these really, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Why don't I have any of yeah. this stuff? 
I probably should have talked about this last week before you came back on the podcast. Well, you don't have it because you're not decorating a really nice, cool podcast space. But yeah, I am. I've got a bonus room. Really I've good. got a bonus room up here. I can I can use some decorations. Like, why are you getting all this stuff? Hey, man, you have not because you asked not. I don't know what to tell you. But Luke and those guys are at Lion Loft. They're good dudes. So, no free ads. I don't have a promo code or anything. I don't have anything to give you. But if you're into like. If you have like a golf space or a golf wall or something in your house or in your office or anything like that, check out lionloft.com. Like they've hooked me up. I'm going to I'll take some pictures and share them with some folks cuz I'm really proud. I'm really proud of the new podcast space. It's very pretty. Very nice. Very nice. All right, good for you. I just want to get that off my chest. I'm sitting here looking at it and I'm like, "Man, this is looking really good. It's coming together." All right, Pat, let's talk real quick about the schedule for the rest of 2018 cuz we are fast approaching. It will be 2019 very soon. It's just crazy how fast it goes by. Um, but let's talk about the schedule for the rest of 2018 for the Tour Junkies podcast. So we are going to do a podcast next week, okay, about the Tiger Phil matchup. And, and whatever you have to say about the Tiger Phil matchup, we will address all opinions on the matchup next week. We'll talk some prop bets. We'll talk about where we think it could have been produced a little better. We'll talk about... Uh, matchups that we think would actually be more entertaining to watch than Tiger and Phil. We'll have some fun with it. We'll talk a little bit about it. We are going to do a little something. It's going to be a short, probably a shortened show. We'll quickly recap the RSM and we'll get into the Tiger-Phil showdown. That'll be next week. The week after is the Hero World Challenge. We will do a podcast for that as historically, at least the last couple years, because Tiger has played in it. There has been some DFS action on the Hero, which is ridiculous because there's only 18 players and it's a no-cut event, but you do you, do you boo. Um, we'll probably talk some betting more there, and we'll talk a little bit about the Hero. And after that, we are going to commit to we – we've interviewed Dwayne Bach, who is Kevin Kisner's caddy, has been his caddy for a long time now. Uh, you're going to hear from Bach a little bit later on this show, but the full interview we're going to air probably after the Hero World Challenge. You can check that out. And then we may have one or two other surprise interviews and drops in December before we get going for uh, the golf season that is a full-on marathon starting the first week of January with the Tournament of Champions. So that's the schedule. That's how things are rolling out. Um, So you will still hear from us next week and for the Hero, and you'll get the Dwayne Bach interview the week after. And then after that, into December and towards Christmas, we'll just kind of see how things go. So. Uh, did I miss anything there? You think we're good? No, I think we're good. I think we're good. Yeah. All right. I'm good. Um, all right. So let's get into this. So here's what we did. We we talked to Dwayne Bach, um, and Dwayne Bach was on the bag for Kevin Kisner in 2015 when Kisner won the RSM Classic. We talked to Dwayne about some fun caddy stuff and some interesting material that you'll hear in the full interview in a few weeks. But we pulled out a six minute, about a six minute clip right here that we're going to play for you here in just a minute, that is, is Dwayne Bach talking about um, the RSM Classic, Seaside, the Seaside course, the Plantation course, what it takes to play well there, what he thinks success uh, kind of looks like there. A co- he's going to mention a couple guys he likes, and uh, we're going to hear from, from Dwayne Bach. So let me cue that up right now, Pat, and we will go to that. We'll come back as soon as we come back with the course breakdown, key stats, and strategy for the RSM Classic. Here you go, Dwayne Bach, longtime PGA Tour caddy, Kevin Kisner's caddy, and uh, just all-around stand-up guy. Here's Dwayne Bach. What type of players do you think tend to have 
repeated success at Seaside. So what do you have to do to win other than just putt better than everybody else? We know that we know that's a big deal every you know, every year. But what is it about Seaside that 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 players have to really make sure they execute on to have a good week? Well, the 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 type of golfer that I see, the type of player that I see that that plays well out there is tournament or, or to be honest with you, the, the guys that, that played in the SEC because the SEC has had their has has had their conference championship out there for the last I don't know ten years or whatever it's been. Um, so you know that golf course, it's it's it the wind can change on you and and just the directional wind can make a hole. I mean, you could be playing holes where it's, you know, three wood wedge and then turn around the next day and be hitting driver three, four iron into the green. It's uh, and so your lines change off those, off those tees. And, and um, there's a couple of just some really key tee shots um, that you have to know where, where to hit the golf ball and what to hit off the tee. I mean, there's uh, there are times when you have to bust driver and then there's times you're just hitting hybrids off the tee. Uh, depending on that wind, and so I think um, I think experience around that around that golf course is, is key. And um, so, with that being said, I just look at the guys that uh, that show up and show up there and play uh, play that uh, conference championship, the uh, SEC championship there every single year. Is uh, you know they, okay. I think they have an advantage. To be honest with you. Yeah, well, you brought up a couple interesting things. I was going to ask you about the wind and how much of a factor the wind plays. Obviously, at, at being um, you know being a coastal golf course, we get that it's going to play a factor. But I was also going to ask more big picture, like at at what mile an hour is wind actually a factor, or is it does it matter if it's consistent or gusting or not? Like, kind of take us through through that thought process because you know that's something we try to do when we're, when we're looking at fantasy golf or golf you know picking picking golfers you know we try to look at the wind and what we think would be a substantial wind or what would matter but but what is what does it actually you know what does it actually mean and when does it really start to impact the player's performance and and the decisions that you and your player are making um i think wind is um wind is huge i mean it, to be honest with you for the first I think it was the first seven, almost seven years working for Kevin. I mean, we just, you know, we seem to always be guessing on, on what, um, you know, how much wind is affecting the golf ball. And, and, and because of that, I, I try to, you know, I try to bring something to the team. And, and I, I went out and I, I started asking a bunch of people about um, the effects wind have on a golf ball. And um, not to give all my secrets away, but, um, you know, I found a lot of valuable information that we use that I use with Kevin now. And, um, it seems to me right around 10 miles an hour is, is probably the wind that, uh, that affects it the most. Um, and then of course, once it gets up going up from there, um, you know, it's, uh, so, you know, kind of in a nutshell, if the wind's blowing 10 miles an hour, there's a certain percentage that, uh, that I use if it's into the wind. And then it's, uh, you know, it's a different percentage that I use if we're downwind because, you know, the ball gets knocked down a little bit more going downwind and, you know, or into the wind, and and so there is a different a different formula that that I use, um, and that formula seems to be working fairly well the last three years um, that I've uh, put that into play, and Kevin seems to trust it, and um, and uh, so yeah, you know, when when the wind starts blowing, and then there's a difference between 10 miles an hour and 15 miles an hour. I mean, it's uh, but I think uh, when you ask what at what at what speed does it really start 
playing with the players, you know, with crosswinds and into the winds and all that other stuff. I, yeah. I think 10 miles an hour is, is really where it starts to affect um, the player and the ability to, to hit the golf ball, the distance and the direction that they want to hit it. So obviously it plays a big factor at, uh, at, at Sea Island. Now, it sounds like you're saying experience at Sea Island's a big deal or Seaside's a big deal. Uh, can't, so, but you're also saying a, kind of a rookie on tour, second year player on tour, if they have come up through those SEC ranks and they've had some of that exposure to Seaside and, uh, and the, the surfaces out there, you feel like those kind of guys can still come up and win this golf tournament, right? Or it doesn't have to be, you know, a long in the tooth veteran who's played this tournament for a lot of years. So we could see a guy like maybe a Keith Mitchell or somebody like that come out and win this event. I guess like Austin Cook did last year, huh? Absolutely. I mean, and, and yeah. uh, you know, I, I think Keith Keith has a, has a great opportunity to to win an event like this, or at least be in contention coming on Sunday. You know, and then another guy that I don't think really had a great year last year is is another Georgia player, um, Russell Henley. Yeah, yes. I mean, I think you Russell got Swafford Hen- oh, Henley. Swafford, Hen- yeah, and but Russell, I mean, I, I, he kind of, I think he had a little bit of an off year, or did he? Did he yeah. win? I don't even know. I mean, sorry, shoot, that's how much I know. But uh, I know we didn't win. <laughs> But you know, somebody like Russell, I I think he had an off year. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, when when I'm looking at the RSM, those are the guys that I'm I'm looking at. Um, You know, I think Russell has a great shot out there. I think uh, Harris has a great shot out there. I'm a little, you know, the guys that live out there. I mean, it's always hard to play in your hometown because I mean, you're always, you know, when you look at Zach and and Davis Love and. you know, those kind of guys, uh, even Patton Kazire, um, you know, I think Patton should have a have an advantage out there, you know, from being there and, and, and everything else like that. But, you know, it's always hard to play in your hometown. You got to you got to take care of uh, a lot of obligations when you're when you're playing at home. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I do like the guys that have the have the uh, have the experience out there. All right, there's our boy Dewey, Dewey Bach. He is a great dude. Um, you got to hear all about his calf muscles in the full-on interview. <laughs> but uh, so we just took out this, the quick segment there on Seaside. Now, Pat, you're going to hit us with the course breakdown here, and it better be a good one because you've had two weeks off. It better be you better be coming in hot here. Um, but obviously, Bach mentioned a couple things. He really hammered home a couple things. He likes guys that have experience. But you don't have to have PGA Tour RSM Classic experience if you came up in the SEC ranks as the uh, SEC guys play there every year. So he talked a lot about liking SEC guys. He talked about experience being a factor. He did talk about the wind. And then it's really a strategy course, a lot off the tee, thinking about how the wind's going to affect the golf ball. Um, it, it's kind of a thinking man's course, and as well as into the greens, um, he talked about kind of the pressure of playing in front of your hometown if you're a Patton Kazire, Sea Island resident type guy. And he mentioned a couple guys that he likes, Keith Mitchell, Russell Henley. We'll get into those guys in a little bit. But, Pat, anything to add on what Dewey said and then give us your course breakdown and key stats? Yeah, well, you know, I thought that – well, a couple things. The wind, I really enjoyed, you know, his answer there and the question actually about, you know, wind is – was, does wind actually 
become, you know, is it, is it a factor? You know, what mile per hour is that? And, you know, he kind of threw out the 10 mile per hour number. I was, I was really interested to hear that. So I thought that was, was pretty cool. And then um, the SEC thing, you know, I didn't even really think about it um, before, which is surprising as much as you and I are both kind of SEC homers. I knew they played that course a lot uh, in the SEC championship, but it just hadn't been something that I would have thought of as been a narrative for picking players. But when you look at back at the, the past five champs, you know, you had Austin Cook last year who was Arkansas, so he's an SEC guy. Um, you know, Mackenzie Hughes in 16 was not, but then Kiz in 2015, he's an SEC guy, Georgia boy. Robert Streb before that, uh, not an SEC guy, but then Chris Kirk, SEC guy. So every other year you've had an SEC guy over the last five years, and they're just familiar with the course. And it goes back to course history, which is, you know, I think is going to be important this week. Um, you're looking at, you've got two courses. So we've got the Seaside course and the Plantation course here at Sea Island Golf Club in Sea Island, Georgia. You're going to get three rounds on the Seaside course if you make the cut. Um, it's a par 70, plays just right at 7,000 yards. Uh, you got pretty large greens here, uh, pretty easy to hit, which always for me when I get large greens, I'm going to look at that proximity stat. The seaside course is your traditional sort of oceanside course. It's it's uh, it's exposed to the wind. As Bach said, you're really going to have to pay attention to that when they are on that course. Hitting fairways is key. You have got to hit the fairways here. I know it's not very long, uh, but you can't just bomb it all over the place. You really you got to be strategic off the tee. Another thing that Bach mentioned. Uh, you've got Bermuda throughout, uh, so from tee to green, all Bermuda grass. You've got two par fives on this par 70. I think both reachable uh, for most players, uh, so they should be able to take advantage of that. One of the themes we'll always talk about, and you'll hear a lot this week, is the Sea Island Mafia. We got guys like J.T. Poston, Patton Kazire, Zach Johnson, Brian Harmon, Harris English, Hudson Swafford, Jonathan Bird, who's the old guy, the veteran of the bunch. And even like a guy like Kiz, I think he's not, he doesn't live in Sea Island, but he plays down there a lot. He's friends with a lot of those guys, so you know he's obviously familiar with the area. Looking at the plantation course, they're going to have one round there, either Thursday or Friday. It's totally different. It's not exposed to the wind. It's, it's more tree-lined, back off the ocean and the coast a little bit. It's a par 72, probably one of the more easier par 72s that you'll see all year at 7,058 yards. Uh, you got a little bit smaller greens here, um, but again, it's gonna it's gonna play you know pretty easy. I think the players here should take advantage. This is the this is the day when you get plantation, you've got to take advantage of it. You've got four relatively easy par fives that you can score on. Um, so I think that that's that's something that you've got to take advantage of. For me, when I looked at stats, I mentioned driving accuracy. That's going to be key proximity also scrambling around these greens these are you know relatively tough greens you've got to be able to scramble uh and then i looked at the my my old favorites and that's course history in recent form and maybe that op, ops game stat that i know you talked about with pat mayo mm. i'm still trying yes. to get familiar with that stat you know after my two weeks off I, I'm, I'm that was a new one that popped up while i was gone so i'm trying to get familiar with that one but i think i like it I like what it's what it's uh, it's showing, and so I'm probably going to look at that some too. 
So there you go. I don't know if that was up to your expectations, that, that, it was, David. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was. It wasn't like it, it wasn't a full blown heater, but it was pretty good coming off the break. I, I'm okay with it. While you're while you mentioned the opportunities gained, let's go ahead and tap on that because we we hit on that a little bit last week. So on Fantasy National, uh, if you go to fantasynational.com/tj, you can sign up if you're not already a member. Fantasynational.com/tj, but they have this new stat: opportunities gained. And it is a, it's really a, um, it's a stat proprietary to Fantasy National at the moment. There's no other place to really go and get it. The way that Moose is going out and getting this data is pretty cool. Uh, and it comes from, I mentioned, I teased this a little bit last week, but just to give you some validity to the stat, it is a PGA, a PGA Tour player or someone who has a lot of experience on the PGA Tour highly, condone, highly endorses this stat, okay? It's a brainchild, maybe, if you will, of a certain PGA player. Um, so you know it's good, right? It's like Sex Panther. 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's a, <laughs> um, it's a really good stat. But basically, it measures from on, on the approach shots how many times a player has a 15-foot putt or less from the fringe or from the green. Um, and it gives them, it gives them you know, strokes gain numbers based on that. Uh, and if it's and if it's within 15 feet on the after the second shot on a par five, it's worth twice the points. So you're really rewarding guys who are giving themselves really good opportunities to to hit it close. Um, and, and that so for me, it's really replacing a strokes gained approach number, which is still a good stat if you like it, but I like it better. It, it and it replaces the the proximity stat for me, but it's in the same vein, if you will. So there you go. Uh, I will say this, on the plantation course, you talked about the plantation course. Come Wednesday, maybe we can get into this a little bit on Twitter or maybe the Chalk Bomb email. Um, if you're not subscribed to that, I don't know what you're doing. But um, maybe on Wednesday we can get into this. First round leader bets, any guys who are playing the plantation course on Thursday, I would highly recommend a slight edge towards those guys. If you look back at the toughest courses on the PGA Tour over the last four or five years, there is a there's a pretty vast difference. About uh, about 10 to 12, 15 even courses in difficulty between Seaside and Plantation. So meaning like if the PJ Tour keeps record of 44 courses in the year, like the Plantation course is down in like the 40s or high 30s in difficulty. And Seaside is like 15 to, you know, 10 to 15 spots harder than that year after year after year. So if you're looking at a first round leader bet especially, then consider the plantation course as maybe some guys who you would lean that way. But for DFS purposes that we're talking about, you know, if your guys make the cut, which if they don't, you're screwed anyway. So assuming they make the cut, you got three rounds at Seaside. That's really where I'm spending a lot of my, my time as well. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I looked at a few things. Uh, obviously, course history plays a factor. Experience like, like old, old, old Dewey, Dewey mentioned. Uh, but not just that if they don't have the experience, but there's some of those southern, you know, southern boys used to the Bermuda surfaces, used to the SEC game and the and the the, the route to Sea Island. Uh, I took that into consideration, obviously recent form. I looked at opportunities gained, which is probably going to be every single – I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Opportunities gained, I'm looking at every week of the year. I don't even care. what I don't care what the tournament is. I'm looking at it. Um, but I thought, I thought Dewey kind of – and maybe maybe this was left out of the uh, the actual clip, which if it was my mistake, I did some editing. But um, he talked a lot about short game mattering, like kind of matters here. 
maybe that was in a conversation we had after, like after we hung up, but or after we stopped the, the podcast. But okay, like I, I feel like this is a course where short game matters a little more than your standard course on the PGA Tour. These are very fast um, Bermuda surfaces. Uh, to me, chipping and putting is is important here. And if you look at the guys who who've won here, like you mentioned. Uh, a lot of a lot of these guys are known for pretty good short game, pretty consistent short game. So I I'm taking into consideration strokes gained around the green, opportunities gained, and strokes gained putting on Bermuda. But I'm really looking at long term stats. Like for me, if I'm going to look at a at a a putting surface stat, I'm not really I don't really care as much about the short term. I care a lot about a big sample size. Give me a big sample size. Give me a guy like a Kevin Kisner who loves putting on Bermuda. Um, let me look at his last hundred rounds and see where he lines up on Bermuda versus other surfaces. So that's what I looked at. I looked at the last hundred rounds, strokes game putting on Bermuda, guys who feel very comfortable and, and, and show consistent, um, you know, consistent performance on Bermuda ga- uh, grass surfaces. So yeah, well, that's what I, was, I looked at. I think especially too, when you talk about courses like this, um, you know, ocean courses that, that the wind is going to kick up at, at any time and you just don't know what you're going to get. So you're, you're going to miss some, some greens, even though we, I, yeah, I did say they're, they're pretty big greens. You're going to miss them um, because you're just not going to be sure with, with the wind. So you've got to be able to scramble. You've got to be able to get up and down. So I think that's going to be extremely important, uh, especially with the three days they've got here on the seaside course. Now, I have to say this, Pat. Um, you mentioned the wind. Dwayne Bach mentioned the wind. And that plays right into a a big supporter of the Tour Junkies podcast and Peter Millar. And we got a promo code for you if you want some Peter Millar. Listen, there's nothing more Peter Millar than wind and Sea Island. Like, I'm not really even sure... I'm not really sure you can think of two different of two things that equal Peter Millar more so than windy conditions and Sea Island. Like if you're rocking Peter Millar and Sea Island, you look like you belong in Sea Island. You know what I mean? You could take Pat and his his mismatched shoes that he had on the other day on Twitter <laughs> and his and his, his his awful fashion sense. Drop him in nothing but Peter Millar in Sea Island, and everyone would think he owns the biggest house on the property. It, it is the way to go. And if you go to petermillar.com slash tourjunkies, it's petermillar.com slash tourjunkies, you can see a list of items that me and Pat have personally, uh, we, we personally have in our closet that we've worn that we like. One of the things I'm looking at is actually the Gale Force Stretch Softshell Vest. Now, that's a mouthful. But it's perfect for, you know, wearing it outdoors with a little bit of wind. You want to break a little wind, but you don't need anything super heavy. You need to be able to move a little bit, like probably on the golf course, right? There's also the Perth Stretch Pullover, which we've also got there. We've mentioned that to you a couple times. The, the Peter Millar guys have, uh, have, totally, have totally outdone themselves when it comes to the fall-winter apparel line, especially for guys who want to get out there and play some golf. But you can wear it, you can wear it off the course. You can wear it to a nice dinner. You you could go have dinner at a Sea Island restaurant, Pat. I'm sure you've been there. Have you ever, you've been to Sea Island, right? I have. Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. What what's the what's the fanciest restaurant in Sea Island? I'm sure you know. Well, if you go to actually, if you stay at Sea Island, you stay at the uh, I believe it's called the Lodge, and you probably actually you, you won't wear Peter Millar because I think you have to wear like a, a blazer or a jacket or something like that at dinner. So. Yeah, that's not a good example. Well, they got jacket. They got blazers at Peter Millar. We just don't have one on our thing because you and I don't wear blazers. Okay, so yeah, you can get a blazer from Peter Millar. And uh, <laughs> by the way, I played in a in the member member golf tournament at um, my my course this weekend, and I I was basically a walking Peter Millar ad. 
And I felt great. It was windy. It was cold, and I felt comfortable. And and that's key for me. You know how I am. I mean, I, I got to have You're very fabrics. OCD. Fabrics got to be AF. Yeah, fabrics got to be perfect, and you got to feel good on the golf course. And it worked. Worked day one. Didn't work day two, but you know. Yikes. Well, do yourself a favor. Go to Peter Millar dot com slash store junkies check out the perth pullover check out the other stuff that we really like you, you, your golf game will thank us do all that stuff petermillar.com slash tour junkies if you do that you use the link you get a complimentary for a free hat and complimentary shipping that's petermillar m-i-l-l-a-r dot com slash tour junkies petermillar.com slash tour junkies you'll, you'll be seeing some peter millar if you if you if you're walking the grounds of the rsm You'll see a lot of Peter Millar. You see that little crown emblem? You'll see a lot of that. Um, Pat, I do have a funny story I want to tell you real quick. Okay. This is kind of kind of unrelated. Before we get into picks, I was gonna say this. I was gonna say this earlier in the show, but we're recording this on Monday night. Um, Happy Veterans Day to uh, to everyone, and we we would like to thank. I would like to thank. I'm sure Pat would too. Uh, I'd like to thank all our veterans, those who've served in the military, both past and present. We really mm-hmm. appreciate you. Uh, my dad's a veteran. My great-grandmother, great-grandfather were veterans. My grandmother was a veteran. My grandfather was a veteran. They met in the Navy. Long story. Yeah, all this stuff. So uh, I, I really appreciate what our military does um, for our country, for our people. So we appreciate it. Um, so my son, my 8-year-old, Collins, is uh, a, an avid. He loves sports, all kind of sports especially golf and basketball. Well, basketball season is here. This is like his fourth season playing. He's eight years old. And his first practice was scheduled for tonight, Veterans Day night. And, you know, like 6 p.m. At the same time, he kept telling us that he had this Veterans Day thing at school. And he kept telling us it was at night. And so I was like, well, what would you rather do, buddy? Like, and I've, I've, I've put a kid all the way through that elementary school. I've been in the Veterans Day program. Like, I'm good. If yeah, I'm like, what would you rather do? He's like, I want to go to basketball. I'm like, great. We'll go to basketball. Don't worry about the Veterans Day thing. So today, at about 1.30, my wife gets a phone call. And it's my it's Collins uh, Elementary School. He's in third grade. Uh, she says, hello, this is Kristen. Hi, this is uh, Collins' teacher. I'm calling, calling because Collins says that he is not allowed to celebrate Veterans Day. <laughs> Uh, my wife, um, no, that is incorrect. His grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, great-grandmother, and great-great-grandmother are all veterans, and we do, in fact, celebrate Veterans Day. What are you talking about? And she said, oh, well, his words are, it conflicts with my basketball practice, and I have strong feelings about my basketball team, so I can't participate in Veterans Day. This is the part that blows me away. She says, I understand what he's saying, Mrs. Barnett, but I have I am obligated to speak with every family that does not allow their child to celebrate Veterans Day and mark whether or not that is true based on or to make sure they aren't anarchists. Uh <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like what? Anarchist? My wife's like, um, no, we are not anarchists. He's confused. He thinks the program is tonight, when in fact the Veterans Day program is at 2 o'clock. It's in 30 minutes from when this teacher is texting my wife. And he can 
he's going to make his first basketball practice. And the teacher says, okay, so just to confirm, he is okay to participate and attend the Veterans Day program in 30 minutes. Yes, he is. <laughs> and, he, and we're not anarchists, by the way. <laughs> what? There is so much thing. To, there is so much to that that you just said that I don't even know where to go with it. <laughs> I did not even realize that was a thing. This poor lady... And like what is man, like you gotta hope that you gotta hope she marks that down right, you know? Like we're gonna be filling out college applications in years. Like, yeah. We see here in third grade, Collins, that uh you skipped Veterans Day for basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents are anarchists. Uh, you live oh in an anarchy. Golly. Okay, well good. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get in the picks. And by the way, I'm we've we've got a lot of great research here on the picks. I am super excited about the chunk and run segment tonight. It's going to be lit. The chunk and run segment. Is I hope it is. We're going to have I a good time. I spent way too much time on it. Oh, man. Um, all right, let's get into the picks. Here's what we're going to do we're going to do the 9K and 10K range because this is such a garbage field. It's kind of, it's kind of a short range. So we're going to do two GPP plays, two cash plays, and two fades in from 9,000 and above, from Zach Johnson up to Webb Simpson, two, two, and two. Got to make decisions. Pat, I'll start with you. Who are your two GPP plays in this range? Well, you know, right off the bat, I'm going to go with my boy Kiz. I think he's a a great GPP play at that 9,300 level. And here's the thing. He has not played very well lately. Um, You know, so he doesn't really have... um, Yeah, Captain Understatement. He hasn't. The recent form there. Um, but I like where he is as far as this course is concerned. I mean, he, he obviously loves this course. He's played it a ton. Uh, he's, he's won it here. I, I think this is, if anything, you're going to get a guy lower owned than he normally would be in a tournament like this where he traditionally has, you know, good course history. And I think his will be lower owned than he should be. And I, I just, I think he's going to be a, a great play. I think this is the kind of course that he can get his game back. He's comfortable here. Um, so I do. I like his. I think he is going to be my okay. favorite GPP play. Also like CT Pan. Hmm. Okay. Like some CT Pan. You know what? Ninety seven hundred. I think is going to be a price that sort of scares some people off of, of that guy. But you know what? He just he fits the bill here. He's seventh in driving accuracy. Is sixth in strokes gained approach. Checks the box in scrambling. Also has a good course history here. You know he's played here. Uh, two times he's finished T13 and T6, so very good finishes there. Uh, has gained 16 and a half strokes on the field. So I like some CT Pan, and I like some Kiz as my two favorite GPP plays. All right. Well, while you mention those guys, let me because I, I I have those slated to mention as well in maybe some different categories. So let me just address those guys. First of all, CT Pan agree with you completely. He is also a GPP play of mine, and he is one of my two cash plays. I really like CT Pan here um, in, in the 9700 range for all the reasons you mentioned, and I don't have anything else to add to that. Kevin Kisner is a fade for me. Now, I completely I wrestled with this one. I, I wrestled with the play because I do think Kiz is going to be lower owned at 9300 because of the form. But I looked at the form, and it's really hard. If you look at since the he really has done nothing since the PGA Championship in August. He's really done nothing. I mean, you know, the the the, the playoffs a lot of the no cut one of them was a no cut event. Like 
He was 58 out of 70 something. Like he just hasn't. The form is not at all there. Dwayne Bach, the regular caddy, is not there. We Dwayne's recovering from hip surgery. He's supposed to be back on the bag in January. So he's working with a different caddy who he just missed the cut at the OHL with. Um, I just, I just think Kiz is a fade, just for that. I, I, but I get, I get the GPP play. But I think the only way you can possibly justify that is just, I do think he's going to be one of the lower owned guys in this category. So I get it. For me, I had to make a choice, and he's he's going to be a fate. Um, all right, so we were doing GPPs. I mentioned CT Pan was one. The next one for me is actually going to be Webb Simpson. I, I I default to wanting to fade the four players at 10K and above because I just that like if you look at last year's DraftKings scoring performance, there's a lot of guys in the 7K that just crushed last year at the RSM. Um, and this is a weak field where, you know, you do feel like you're overpaying for a lot of guys, but it's also one of those fields where anybody, it feels like anybody can pop up and and win or top five or top 10. So I was tempted to go against anyone in the 10K range. However, I think the safest play above the 10K range on this golf course is Webb Simpson. Um, You know, he's gained 15 strokes total here in the last four attempts he was T15 last week or last time out at the Shriners. Um, from, a, from a course fit, it just fits Webb Simpson's game. And I think people will avoid him at 11.8. Almost $12,000 is stupid. Like, I, I don't remember the last time I paid 11.8 for anyone, like a DJ or a Brooks or a, you know, a Rory. I don't remember the last time I paid 11.8 for anybody at any golf tournament, much less Webb Simpson. But I think that's why he's a GPP play for me. I don't think a lot of people are going to have him. And I do think there's plenty of opportunity in the low 7s and 6K range that you can still make nice lineups um, with Webb in it. So I think he's a a very, very likely GPP play for me. Um, All right, so let's talk cash. Cash, I have two plays. CT Pan, I mentioned, is also a cash play for me. My other cash play is... Zach Johnson, which seems weird because he just missed the cut at the OHL, and I had a ton of him. And so it feels like he should be more of a GPP play. But And I don't mind him as a GPP move, but I had to, I, I wanted to narrow it down to two. And my two favorite ones are C.T. Pan and Webb Simpson. Zach is a close third. But I do like Zach enough to roll with him in cash. I mean, you know, he finished T8 here last year. His course history here is a little bit back and forth. But even despite kind of the recent form being a little off, he's 28th in the field in opportunities gained and 37th in DraftKings points scored. Or 28th in opportunities and DraftKings points and 37th in strokes gained around the green. You know, he's a Sea Island Mafia guy. We know from long-term history with Zach, this is a course that he can play well on. This is a course that he can win on. He should do just fine here. And a price break of 9K relative to the guys above him, I mean – Lucas Glover's at 9,900. Russell Henley's at 9,500. J.J. Spawn's at 10,4. And I get that the, the, the recent form is way better. But from a name value, course fit, long-term pedigree, Zach Johnson is pound for pound the best value in this field, I think, at $9,000. So I will roll with Zach Johnson in cash and GPPs probably. That's, that's my cash plays. What do you th- who are your cash plays? And then finish up with your two fades. Well, I mean, 
I'm okay with Zach Johnson and Cash. I mean, I, I will say his course history here isn't as good as it probably should be. Cause I think yeah, it's, it's just, off and on. It's yeah. just a perfect course for him. Um, but for some reason, it never really seems to translate in him playing well here. But I love Russell Henley and Cash at, at 9,500. You look at his last— Dwayne Bach liked him a lot. Yeah, and if you look at his last four starts here, he hasn't finished worse— then, well, he's had three top tens. His worst finish was in 2014 where he was T65, but he's gained 21 strokes on the field. Um, you know, he's obviously an accurate guy off the tee. Checks the box in proximity, strokes gained approach. It's, it's just I, I feel like this is just a, a perfect course for him. Another SEC guy um, who's who's played it a ton from Georgia. So I think Russell Henley is, is just a cash lock for me, and I, I won't have any hesitation throwing him into my lineups. You know, the second cash lock, I don't know. I was I was kind of conflicted here because C.T. Pam was also looking good for cash for me. And I kind of I still kind of like Webb, though, in cash. I, <coughs> I think that, you know, I know Whoa. he's extremely— 11-8 for a cash play? I'm okay with that though. I think you can lock him in with the way the the with what uh, value we've got down in the seven k range, and I think he's just a guy that just this is a perfect course fit. You can put him in your lineup, not have to worry about him. He's going to make the cut. He's probably going to finish in the top ten. So I like some web, but I will say that between the two, I was with you, CT Pan over Web as far as my cash play. All right, what about your uh, what about your two fades? All right, two fades. You're gonna hate these because I know you love both of these guys, but for me, it's gonna be Cameron Champ and Luke List. Uh, I think that I don't like the the course fit for these guys. Uh, I think that you know Cameron Champ is obviously one of the more talented guys we've seen come out on tour in the last few years. He won a few weeks ago. I think too many people are gonna be on him this week though. His his name is getting up there. You know, that he's already above 10K when it comes to the price. But you look at driving accuracy, he's 87th in the field. He's 116th in scrambling. Proximity, 105th. Now, he does check the box on that ops gain stat that you love. But I just, I don't know. I just think that I'm going to fade him this week. I think too many people are going to be on him. And I don't want to play him. And you know what? This was one of his few starts that he had on tour last year. And he missed the cut. So, um, so that doesn't have the great course history. I know he's a different player now, but still, I just I think I'm going to fade some Cameron Champ. And then Luke List at 9,200, just not a fan. I don't want to pay that price for him. Another guy that's not extremely accurate off the tee. Uh, it doesn't check the box in, in proximity for me. And uh, so I just think that I think those two guys are going to be fades for me. I mean, you look at List. He did finish 13th in 2017, but he missed the cut the year before that. And always is a popular guy. I mean, just always. And I think I'm going to fade what I think is going to be a little bit higher ownership for for Luke List. So those are my two fades. Well, believe it or not, as much as I like both the players, I don't. I'm not playing either one of them. I, I just don't think for the second highest price guy in the field, Cam Champ is enough of a course fit for this golf course. And although, like, I'm really happy to see him prove a lot of naysayers wrong. Um, and continues to just light things up with the, from tee to green and with the putter. Um, I think he's a dangerous player no matter what. Second highest priced guy at a golf tournament that historically you see a lot of 7K guys pop, a lot of the no-namers pop, anybody can win. I think I'll just gladly fade. I think there's a chance Luke List is actually higher owned than Cameron Champ. In fact, last week he was 11% owned and Champ was 8% owned. And at the $9,200 price tag, I see a lot more people dipping into the 9K range with Luke List. 
so I'm fine with both of those fades. Um, my second fade, so I told you my first fade was Kisner. My second fade is JJ Spawn. Now here is a tough, I, I'm trying to make a tough call. Plant my flag, stand my ground. JJ Spawn is playing really, really well right now. And I'm glad to see it. I like JJ Spawn. I think he's a good player, uh, good young player. Uh, we've, we've heard from his web.com days from other guys on tour that he is a true ball striking machine. That is what he's known for. Uh, he, I, I think these other courses that he's played really well at so far, he can get away with a little less of a short game. He has never been known for short game. He's never been known for chipping and, putt, and, and putting around the greens. He's just never been known for that. He's known for that tee to green prowess, uh, and that's what that's where his his cheddar's been made here these last few weeks. I can't. I, the form is amazing. He is checking boxes. He doesn't check the box in uh, strokes game putting on Bermuda because he doesn't check the boxes in putting and, and chipping or scrambling. Um, but he was 19% owned last week, and everybody's loving J.J. Spawn and that recent form. So I think I will take my chances for the third highest priced guy being a guy named J.J. Spawn. I think that's a fade. I think the, the, the percentage play is a fade. So that's the 9K and above range. Let's get down to the 8K range. Pat, why don't you, um, why don't we do this? I need a quick podcast juice refill. I've got a little Tito's and uh, LaCroix, a little splash, you know, a little lime, my usual. Uh, do you mind if I go get a little refill? And while I do that, you hit us with your two GPPs in the 8K. And why don't you go ahead and hit us with your one cash play in the 8K? Sure, I'll do that. And I'm going to talk bad about you while you're gone, so head on out. Well, I, mean, I, can, I, I can still hear you, but I just can't talk into the mic. Okay. Well, first off, um, listeners, I don't know if you know this, but one of the things you can do when you're preparing for a podcast is you can actually have, like, drinks near you so you don't have to leave the mic. So, like, I actually have a, I, I have a, a bottle of wine that's in a nice little canister with, with a, it's a bottle of rosé. It's got some ice around it. And I bring that with me, and I put it next to me, so I don't have to uh, go anywhere and, and you know really mess up the flow of the podcast. David, on the other hand, does not understand that you can do that, and it's called preparation. It's called preparation, which is what I do most every podcast. Uh, as a matter of fact, I probably spend more prep prep time on how my alcohol is going to be beside me or whatever than I do with players not not really i'm just kidding i i, I do I, I spend a decent amount of time on players but i do i do like uh to be prepared for my alcohol consumption um anyway going back to um the gpp plays i like a guy this week who david's just i can't get him to to like but i like some sung jm as one of my gpp plays at eight thousand on DraftKings. i think this guy is he's just He's going underappreciated with the Cameron Champ love and Sam Ryder and Sam Burns and all those guys out there. This guy dominated last year on the Web.com Tour. I think this is a perfect course for him. He's 17th in driving accuracy. He's uh, in the top 30 in proximity, also in ops gained, opportunities gained, checks the box and, and strokes gained around the green. A guy that's been in, in pretty good recent form. I think this is just a perfect course for him. He's Now, it is his first time here, but I like him as a GPP play. He's obviously going to be under-owned, and I will play him a lot. The other GPP play, David's going to hate this one. 
but I love it. Jim freaking Furick at 8,200. Yes, the old guy. The last time he played here, he finished T6. But you know what? He's actually been in decent recent form. Yep, he was sixth last week. He's 13th in driving accuracy, checks the box in scrambling proximity, and I think he's obviously going to be low on. Well, we know. I don't even have to think yeah, about that. He's 13th in driving accuracy. He can hear the ball land. Yeah, but this course is one of the shortest courses on tour. I know. I know. So I think Furyk can play well, and I like him as a GPP player. I mean, look, I'm not going to give you the the popular I, guy. I, I appreciate the boldness. And I, this is this is now this is the bold play of the week. I will say that. But I think Furyk is uh, this is a good course fit for him. I don't mind that 8200. He's he's going to be less than five percent owned. There's no way. Do you think like you, you're the ownership guy? You can predict that pretty well. Do you think he's going to be any any higher than five percent owned? Um, I think he will be, but just slightly, only because I, I think a lot of people are going to avoid the the upper nines and, and above nines range. So I think they're going to go that real balanced approach. But I, I, I'm sh- I'm confident he's probably not going to be like eight percent. I would be shocked unless there's another, unless there's a bunch of other touts that get on him. You know, we don't ever know that. That's I can't imagine. Like, I can't like imagine. last week, I was so pissed last week. Me and Mayo were talking about Matt Kuchar last week as a GPP play because no one's playing him. His ownership's nothing. He sucks. He's sucked all year. And I guess by the time our podcast came out, Mayo talked him up on his show. On average, he was 22% owned in GPPs last week. It's still Matt Kuchar, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's just like 10% ownership built in because of his name value and everything, and he's always making cuts, and he's never really – yeah. But I, I, All right, he, well, here's the thing. I think Furyk. I, I, you know, I don't hate the Furyk. I don't hate the Furyk GPP call. Yeah, I mean, coming off a good finish last week, he's played well here before. So I, I think he's he's a good play. What was the other ones that you wanted me to hit? Your one cash play. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Kirk is a lock. Um, I, I love him. I mean, he's you know 8,500. He's won here before. Obviously, hasn't played great recently. But, again, just like I say with Kiz, I think this is the course that he can kind of get his game back. Um, you know, when you look at it, he's gained 38 strokes over his last five events here. Yeah. So, I like some Chris yeah. Kirk. Uh, well, actually, I'm with you on Kirk. Uh, shocking, I know, because I usually like Chris Kirk. But the 38 strokes gained is freaking overwhelming. He's a UGA guy, very familiar with the golf course. I think he's a GPP play as well because of the recent form and maybe lack of box checking going on with Kirk. But I also like him in cash. I'll play him. I'll play him in cash too. So he's a cash play for me and a GPP play for me. Um, I I I couldn't decide. I have two other GPP plays. I know I only said two, but I'm going to give you three total GPP plays. So maybe maybe I'll just maybe I'll just take Kirk out and G- I don't know. Uh, Sam Ryder. I. I think he's going to be a more popular GPP play, but he checks so many boxes. Uh, he is. He looks really good. He is a good. box check in full. He's seventh in opportunities gained, third in DraftKings points scored, 21st in strokes gained around the green. I, I, It's going to be really hard for me not to include Sam Ryder. Maybe, honestly, maybe Ryder and Kirk should be – I don't know. Um, let's do this. Let's make – Let's make. I think I'm gonna go Ryder. I think I'm gonna go Ryder and Kirk in cash. And I would go Kirk and 
Jamie Lovemark in GPPs. I like Lovemark here. I think Lovemark's going to be a little low-owned, 8100 bucks. His history here uh, in the last five years, miscut last year, but a T6 and a T9 before that. He's, he's a bomber that can you know hit some irons off the tee. He's a great scrambler. A lot of people don't know that about Jamie Lovemark. They think he's just this bomb and gouge guy. Incredible short game wedge player. And I'm talking like recently and long term. You know, if you look at it over over 100 rounds, 200 rounds, whatever, Jamie Lovemark checks that box. So uh, those are my GPP and cash plays in the 8K range. We did ask for one fade. My fade is going to be Joaquin Neiman. And, and I hate it. I'm probably going to bet Joaquin Neiman. Depending on what his what his betting odds are, I'll probably bet him. But he was 30% owned last week at 8,900, being the scorer that he is, the ball striker that he is. I think in DFS he's worth a fade just for that just for that reason. He's never played here before. Um, he he's not putting four rounds together. So like like he he's popping on Thursday or Friday and then things are fading. He's just not putting four rounds together. So I'm gonna fade Joaquin Neiman. Who's your fade in the 8K? My fade's going to be Jamie Lovemark. I think mm. that, and you're you're probably going to love him. You love some Lovemark, but well, I, I just said I, I just said. Were you listening? I just talked about him for like a minute and a half. Sorry, you're probably going to love him. I just said I liked him. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like him. You haven't been on the show in three weeks. You're checking out. Yeah, I was checking out. I was texting my wife. She was she was going through some trouble. So. <laughs> oh, Lord. Ah! Woo! All right, yeah, Jamie Lovemark. How do you, I mean, he's 111th in driving accuracy, 121st in proximity, 119th in opportunities gained. I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I think he's a guy that everybody always tends to love, and I just, I'm just not on him this week. I'm not going to play him. He's burned me so many times in the past, and... No, he has me too. I can't quit him, though. He's so hard for me to quit. I know, you can't quit him. He likes the course. He plays well here, man. I mean, two out of three attempts, he's top 10 to... Yeah, no, I, something I, I, about the golf course and the driving accuracy factor, you know, I get, but the number can be skewed because he's hitting a lot of drivers there. Where maybe this time he's hitting some three woods and hybrids and irons off the tee. I don't know. I, I just that's why I think he's a GPP play. He's obviously not a cash play. Um, let's get into seven K real quick. Let's let's move through the seven K. There's a ton of players here. We're gonna give you four GPPs, two cash and two fade plays. Uh, I'll start off with my GPP plays. I love Bud Cauley. Bud Cauley recovering from the car car accident that he had back in the summer. He's playing really well. Finished eighth here last year in 2017. His last two events, a T29 and a T10. University of Alabama, so that going to that SEC kind of narrative that Dwayne Bach talked about. He was around 8, 8% owned on average last week. I think that definitely gets a bump with, uh, with a decent finish here, but I don't think it's going to be too much. I mean, I don't see him like over 15% or so. So I think that's an interesting play with Bud Cauley. A guy that I liked a lot last week and started off really hot and faded over the weekend, broke my heart because I had him at 170 to 1 to win, and he was two shots off the lead or four shots off the lead on Sunday. Brian Gay at $7,500. Um, he's just playing really well right now. He's, he's playing very solid. He's in his last three years. He's finished third, miscut, fourth, uh, just stupid good. He's killing it in strokes game putting on Bermuda in the last hundred rounds. He's third in this field, and he always goes overlooked. Like he was seven percent owned last week. He's going to be overlooked again this week. I think he's a good GPP play. I think ownership in the seven K is going to get spread around a lot. So it's you know it's hard. It's going to be hard. You're going to be hard pressed to fade 
too many guys here based on ownership alone because I do think it's going to get spread out. So I like Bud Cauley. I like Brian Gay. The last – I got a bonus one here. I got, I got three more that I like. I'll go through them quickly. I like Seth Reeves at $7,100. Georgia Tech guy, Atlanta guy. Been playing really, really well right now. 28th um, and 7th place finishes in his last couple of events. Checks a box in opportunities gain and DraftKings points scored. He's a web.com grad, relatively unknown. Right below him, I also like Kelly Craft at 7,100. I think he could go overlooked. His last three tries here at the RSM, 22nd, 21st, and a miscut. Finished T38 at the OHL last week, checking the box in opportunities gained and strokes gained putting on Bermuda. So I think Kraft is interesting. But the last GPP play that I'll give you in the 7K, it's a bonus, okay, a bonus. In fact, I think I like this guy over Kelly Kraft. So if I'm going to if I'm gonna rank him, I put this guy 4th and Kraft 5th in my GPP rankings. Finished 10th, or he's gained, he's gained 10 strokes here in the last five years, okay, and he had a horrible year last year. Horrible year. But before that, if you played DFS, he was known as a pretty good little cut maker. He went to the University of Georgia, and he's checking stat categories, ch- checking boxes right now, and he's got a couple top 30 finishes in the last three outings at 7,000. The Swafficer may be back. He's working with our boy Scott Hamilton down there in Cartersville. He's a Sea Island Mafia guy. UGA guy, SEC guy, Bermuda grass guy, 7K for the Swafficer, who's making a little comeback here after a really tough 2018 season. I like him as a GPP play. All right, hit me with your GPP, guys. Wow, okay. All right, so first off, I like some Stuart Sink. You know, I'm going with the old guys, just like Jim Furyk. I mean, he's... Uh, Yikes. At 7,700, he checks the box. He's got good course history. Checks the box and scrambling. Also, a strokes gained approach. So, I like some Stewart Sink. I'm going to try to go quickly through these guys. I'm going to give you some kind of one-hitters yep. on them. Andrew Landry. Also like him. He's 34th in the field in driving accuracy. He checks a box in proximity. A guy that hasn't been in you know fantastic form lately, but I just think this is a good course for him and a, and a good tournament that we'll see here. So at 7,200, I like some Andrew Landry. Here's a guy that you probably never thought would gonna, was going to come out of my mouth. Anders Albertson at 7,300. Love yeah, I did think that week. because see, you haven't been here the last two weeks. Like we've we've all been talking up Anders Albertson. So like right now, you think you just named somebody who no one's ever heard of. Well, but you, the fact hey, is, did, you've been did we not sitting on have, your arse have we for not the last talked about weeks? on the, sh- the the show that I took two weeks off? That means I took two weeks off. I wasn't like listening, except for <laughs> some of our sh- stuff. But yeah. Anyway, I like yeah, him. And- Anders Albertson is not getting past anybody right at this point. He's playing really well. Uh, I like him. Yeah, he's playing good. He's got good recent form. 24th in the field in driving accuracy. 24th also in proximity. Third in opportunities gained. And also checks the box and strokes gained approach there. So I think that he is a great play this week. And Vaughn Taylor at 7,200. I like him as well. Another guy accurate off the tee. Checks the box in proximity and opportunities gained. Um, he was T8 last year, so I like some Vaughn Taylor. So there you go with my four GPP plays. I love Brian Gay and Cash. I think you mentioned him mm, earlier. So yes. I'm a big fan of him. I also think Stuart Sink is a good Cash play as well. Just as, as, okay. m- as much as I like him in GPP, I like him in Cash <laughs> as well. Fades for me are going to be Keith Mitchell. Yep, I said it. And Dude, dude. Me too. I've 
just don't like him. Mind man. blown. And I love Keith Mitchell. Mind blown though. Yeah. Keith Mitchell's another one who who like like some of these other, uh, whoever I just mentioned can't put four rounds together. He just can't do it. He is a Sea Island Mafia guy. He's gonna. He, I, I, I'm with you. I think he's gonna be a little over owned. I like the fade. Who else? Another guy that I'm gonna fade, and I don't know his ownership may be low. I don't. I just think that he's a guy that people will gravitate towards because of this course, because it's a shorter course, it's an accurate course where you got to be accurate off the tee. And that's Kevin Strillman. I think I'm gonna fade him this week. Doesn't have good course history here. His recent form hasn't been good at 7,000. Um, so I just I don't like the course fit. I mean, it's he's a guy that you think would play seaside and plantation as uh, you know very well, but he just typically does not. So I think that Kevin Strillman is going to be a fade for me also. All right. Well, my two cash plays are Brian Gay and Bud Cauley, which I've already talked about. I love both of those guys in cash. Love it. Lock it in. I actually have two fades, other, and I didn't mention Keith Mitchell, but I'm with you. I scratched him off uh, early because of some of the probably the same things you were looking at. But technically, uh, like my two favorite fades here are Patrick Rogers. I just think it's a stupid price to pay for Patrick Rogers in this field. So it's purely a value thing. He's too inconsistent for me. He, I, I know he plays okay on short tracks, even though he's a bomber. I just, I'm not, I don't buy the Patrick Rogers hype train ever at 7,900. But my next fade is Stuart Sink. And here's why. Basically, minus one strokes gained over his last six events. So not great form. Um, he's gained 13 strokes here at the RSM in the last five years. That's in five attempts. You know, 13 strokes gained over five attempts. Not great for a guy, Stuart Sink, who I think is going to be a popular play. He's also 79th in this field in strokes gained putting on Bermuda in the last 100 rounds. So you look at a big sample size, obviously Stuart Sink, not a big fan of Bermuda, 79th in the field, not a fan. But digging deeper into the form, okay, because if you look at his form, he's got some decent form at RSM, but if you look at the years where he where he played poorly at the RSM, the, the tournaments that, that come before that week look a lot like the recent form that he's got right now. It looks a lot like the form he's got right now. The, the, the years where he's played really well at the RSM, he's come in pretty hot. And I know Stuart Sink had a really good year, but in the swing season so far, it's not really there. The, the very recent form is not really there. But if you look historically, the years that he has played really well at the RSM, the, recent, the very recent form has been there. And, and the years that he hasn't, it wasn't there. And it's not there right now. So for me... I think Sink is going to be a very popular play, especially in cash and all that stuff. And I think he makes the cut. I just don't think he's going to – I bet he doesn't top 30. And if he doesn't top 30, I don't really know what the value is on him. I bet he's going to be 12 to 14% owned in most GPP contests. So I'm out on the Georgia Tech grad for that reason. Pat, uh, I know you probably want to rebuttal there, but let's move on. we got to get here quickly. Let's do the 6K range real quick. Um, just talking GPP plays, I've got a few. Um, I, I had a tough time narrowing this down, but I think JT Poston is interesting. I know he's going to be kind of a favorite. I, I'm going to have some of him. But I really like Stefan Yeager at $6,800. University of Tennessee Chattanooga grad, finished 29th here in his first attempt last year at the RSM. His last three events, tied for 16th, miscut, Tied for 14th. He's checking the box in DraftKings points and strokes gained around the green. 
I think Stefan Yeager is an interesting GPP play. But then I have two more below him, both University of Alabama boys, one at 6,600, one at 65. The first is Trey Mullinax at 6,600. His history here, the last five, he's had three attempts, 37th, a miscut, and a 25th. His, last, his recent form is not great. So there's where I think a lot of people are going to jump off. But again, another Scott Hamilton guy working out of Cartersville, very familiar with Sea Island, coming to a place he's comfortable. I, I kind of lessen the blow of the poor missed uh, cuts, back-to-back missed cuts in, in, here in the recent form, and the SEC experience that Mullinax has with the, with the course history I like. Now vice versa, my next guy at 6,500, Tom Lovelady, played here one time last year, missed the cut. However, coming off a better form, 25th at the Sanderson Farms in his only event so far this swing season. He's a University of Alabama guy. Checks the box. He's 14th in the field in opportunities gained and 8th in DraftKings points scored at $6,500. I think Tom Lovelady is a guy with top 10 upside, and that's a really cheap price to pay for a guy like that. Those are a few GPP plays that I like in the 6Ks, and that'll be it for me. Okay, well, I got a couple here. I, one is a Georgia boy, and that's Harris English at 6,800. I think he's a, a, a good GPP play. He's got decent course history. Obviously, we talked about the, the SEC connection. So I think he will be a guy that I'll, I'll throw into some GPP lineups. Uh, also, David Lingworth. Now, he's a guy that has not been playing incredibly late, incredible lately, but he's he's uh, he's got good course history here. Uh, checks a box and driving accuracy. I mean, he's one of the more accurate players in the field when it comes to hitting fairways, also in scrambling as well. So at 6,900, I think David Leemurth is a uh, is a pretty good GPP play there. So that's about it for me. I, I'm I'm not I'm not I like it. I'm not a huge fan of all these guys in the 6K range. I think Sepp Straka, by the way, could be a just I'm just throwing that out there. It could be a guy that you could look at. As uh, sort of a sneaky, uh, low-owned hmm. GPP guy, I, I like his game, and I like his game on this course. But uh, so there you go. All right, it's time for the chunk and run, Pat, and for the chunk portion of tonight's podcast. By the way, we need more chunk and run submissions. Email us info at tourjunkies.com. Give us your chunk and run submissions, right? The chunk is anything golf-related. It could be about DFS golf, fantasy golf, golf betting, real golf, PGA Tour, whatever. Anything anything about golf, ask us a question. We get you on the podcast, you might get some free stuff. The run portion is literally about anything else. Have us Ask us about anything else. We get you on the podcast, same kind of deal. Tonight's chunk question comes from a, a buddy, Josh Norris, emailed this in. Thanks, Josh. We appreciate you doing this, man. We appreciate you being a loyal listener and an engaged listener, an engaged listener to the Tour Junkies podcast. Thank you, Josh. He says, when do you advise using ownership to determine lineups? Why do you think some of the sharps aren't using it, or at least why don't they think it's a big deal? What might be their perspective? Where are they coming from with their reasoning for discounting what some may believe is such an integral part of forming lineups? Now, Pat, you can kind of sit out on this question because you suck at ownership. Yeah, stuff. I'm not gonna. I'm out on this one. However, uh, here's the deal, Josh. We we DraftKings started daily fantasy golf in 2015, right? We were playing in 2015. We started the podcast 
late 2015. We were prepping for the podcast mid-2015. And, and at that time, you didn't have fantasynational.com slash TJ, by the way. You didn't have fan, you didn't have all these companies with all this data, mining all of this data, looking at all this analytics. You didn't have any of that. You, you didn't have a lot of that stuff. You didn't have a fansharesports.com talking to you about who's getting chatted up, ownership leverage, blah, 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 blah. To me, if, if there are so-called sharps still advising you to, to, to make GPP lineups for DFS contests without considering whatsoever ownership, they're they're not you're just you're being led you're being led to slaughter I, I don't know what to tell you now obviously ownership matters less and less than the number of entries in the contest so when I, I like to play a lot of single entries high stake single entries mid stake single entries or mid stake like three max entries I know Pat does those as well you know versus your 150 max five dollar with 40,000 people in it right like the 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 forty thousand dollar five dollar forty thousand entry five dollar contest ownership matters so much more than the hundred dollar single entry with three hundred people in it, right? It, it 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 so that it very much matters based on how many people are in your are in your contest, but so but for a lot of larger GPPs, you have to have ownership leverage because too many people now that are playing against you have the data and have the same stats, you know, ha- have the information about these players that in the beginning a lot of people didn't have. So there were some there there was some validity to saying, "Hey, throw ownership out the window. If you have the right data and you're looking at the right data and you're you're mining the right players, play those guys no matter what." In the beginning before everybody had that information, I thought that made a lot of sense. But now the, the market is so saturated with podcasts, with articles, with free tools, with subscription services that give you all this data and analytics like everybody's got it at their disposal. So you have to have leverage in your lineups. And why wouldn't you? Because golf is so variable. We talk about this all the time. In the NFL, like you know Antonio Brown is going to get you 15 points in a PPR type format on DraftKings every single week. It's automatic. Right? But but in golf like even even you know, even your highest price guy of the week here Webb Simpson could totally trunk slam in DFL on Friday. So ownership matters a lot. To have a guy, if you did some analytics on lineups that finish in the top 1% of GPPs, which is really where it matters, those guys have low-owned guys that they've leveraged above the field that have have outperformed what everybody thought they would do. That, that's what I'll say. So I think that's an old, an old way of thinking three years ago, two years ago, maybe even a year and a half ago. But there's so much more content out there now available, so much more information available now that that's not relevant anymore. You have to consider ownership. Anything else to add to that? No. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I don't have anything to add. Um, so here's here's what we got, y'all. This is a fantastic run question here. We are. It is political ad. It's it's election season. Well, election it's over. Hash- but now we're. It's it's over. Although it's really not over because you got all these freaking elections saying, "Well, yeah. I won." No, I no. All the votes didn't count. So really, it doesn't feel like it's over. But it's election season. Okay, hashtag election SZN, right? It's, it's election season. We thought it would be really funny. Political ads. Political ads are the worst. They're, they're highly entertaining, but they are the worst, especially local political ads. So me and Pat thought it would be very funny to 
uh, do a political ad as if we are attacking another member of the PGA DFS talking head community. Now, we're taking a little risk here because neither one of the uh, of the of the of the the candidates that we're attacking in our ads have any idea that we're doing this. <laughs> so uh, we're taking a risk here. Hopefully, they they understand this is a joke. We're having a good time. Uh, another, you know, it's not not crazy, but. It's if we were gonna if we were running an ad to say, hey, choose your tout wisely, and here's why you shouldn't pick this guy, and we're gonna model it after the horrible political ads that you see on TV nowadays. That's what we're doing tonight. Pat, who are you? First of all, who are you attacking in your DFS tout political ad? I am gonna attack Mr. Pat Mayo, the guy that oh, pew, 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 pew. filled in oh, I'm for excited me about this. Pat on Pat action. Yes, so Pat Mayo is going to be who I'm going to be attacking. Who are you going to be attacking? Well, I want you to read your ad first, and then I'll I'll tell you who I'm attacking. Oh, so I'm going first. Okay, all right. Yeah, read your ad. Here all you right, go. are we ready? <clears throat> I yep, a, go. I put a lot of time in this. Pat Mayo doesn't care about your DFS lineups. Pat Mayo is even on record saying that he believes DFS stands for daily free shit. Meant solely to brainwash you to become one of his minions who get locked in dungeons, forced to watch The Bachelor in sweatshops to do his quote-unquote research so that he can pretend... To know what he's actually talking about. Do you really want to trust a Canadian who smokes unfiltered menthol cigarettes? <laughs> no, we don't. I'll feel sure you do not. Mayo isn't the hardest working tout. He's a fraud. Is that it? <laughs> And I can't read my... my fuck. <laughs> he's a fraud like, who, who... Oh, he's a fraud <laughs> who just knows how to enunciate properly and looks pretty. Don't be fooled. <laughs> Don't vote for Pat Mayo. This message has been approved by Pat Perry for DSF, DFS Expert and paid for by the PPTGN, which is Pat's protecting their good name. The PPTGN. <laughs> <laughs> I effed that up so bad, oh, but I think it was still funny. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, um... Uh, all right, I am going Can after... I, should I redo that? No, I think you leave it just like it is. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, I am going after uh, our friend over at the Fantasy Golf Degenerates. I'm going after Toe Tag and Tambo. Okay? I've had enough of him. I'm going after Toe Tag and Tambo. <clears throat> Here you go. When it comes time to draw a line in the sand and pick your favorite DFS tout, know the facts. Toe Tag and Tambo is spreading his legs wide open for the DFS community. He's the community doorknob. Everybody gets a turn. Roto Grinders, Gup's Corner, now dethrones Brad Messersmith. Not my tout. 
Toe-Tag and Tambo is riding the Mayo Canadian ticket all the way to the bank despite his birth certificate showing Miami, Florida. He has earrings like Mayo. He even fakes his own Canadian accent. Not my tout, eh? Toe-Tag and Tambo moonlights on the weekends as a pit bull body double per old Facebook photos. Not my tout! Toe-Tag and Tambo has never played golf and thinks a stinger is a slang for a headache from too much oomph oomph music from the night before. <laughs> Not my tout! Toe-Tag and Tambo's Twitter name is double-spaced. Not my tout! Toe-Tag and Tambo's mouth apparently stays stuck in the same position according to his Twitter profile and cover photos. Not my tout! Toe-Tag and Tambo believes Joe Flacco is elite. Not my tout! Toe-Tag and Tambo once had a razor-thin chin-strap beard. Not my tout! Make your choice. Make it count. Make it single-spaced sans chin-strap beard. Make it anything but toe-tag and tambo. This message approved by and paid for by the Tour Junkies, the Jeff Feinberg campaign to keep Mayo all to myself, and the Brad Messersmith militia. Oh my god! For the uh, record, love both of those guys. They're both awesome. Yeah, both I thought awesome. that that was great. I, I wish I could have delivered mine better, but it just wasn't. It wasn't organized. I'm actually really impressed. I was able to say toe tag and tambo that many times with yeah. the amount of Tito's to... I've consumed so far this night. <laughs> uh, that was really. I'm I'm really amazed at that. Actually, uh, good uh, stuff, man. Fantastic. All right, we'll see you guys next week for the Tiger Phil Challenge from Las Vegas. We'll basically spend a lot of time making fun of it. And we'll talk a little bit about prop bets. So there you go. All right, may your screens be green for the RSM Classic. See ya!